This is Stacy Buck, and you are listening to Not Elsewhere Classified. You are listening. You are listening. You're listening to Do Not to Not Elsewhere. Not Elsewhere. Elsewhere. Elsewhere Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. This episode is presented to you by the Medical Coding Geek Tutoring Network. We're not just about the funny medical coding memes you see on social media. We're also a growing network of experienced, specialized, and credentialed professionals. We do not offer prep courses or education programs. Rather, we offer focused, one-on-one tutor sessions that will give you what you exactly need to help you pass your exam. We offer tutoring for the CCS, CPC, RHIT, RHIA, and CDI certification exams. If you want to find out if our tutoring services is what you need to progress in your career, go to medicalcodinggeek.com. Also, we're looking to grow our network of tutors. If you're interested in joining our team, go to medicalcodinggeek.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our continuation of episode number six. Before continuing, make sure to listen to part one of my conversation with Stacy Buck. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, welcome. If this is your very first podcast, welcome. Make sure to check out our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play. A great app I suggest for Android is Podcast Addict. Subscribe to the podcast so you can be automatically notified of our new episodes released on Mondays. Please leave us a rating and a review so our podcast can get noticed and reach a wider audience. It's great that this podcast is used as a voice for the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. In this bonus episode, we talk about speaking engagements. At what point in your career do you begin to share your knowledge to the professional community? We talk about how we overcame our fears of public speaking. Stacy talks about being an author and creating your own book. She also discusses her aha moment in learning interventional radiology to level up in her career, especially in times where medical coding is being outsourced overseas. Lastly, Stacy goes over the intricacies of IR coding and getting into this specialized field. So without further ado, here's the continuation of my conversation with Stacy Buck. Enjoy. in your career now the next question i did want to ask i mean you may you're just going on and on and on. i'm like okay there's one thing i do want to ask uh you know i warned you i know i know and I'm, I'm, you should see my paper i should scan you the paper that i have i'm writing all of this stuff i'm like okay you know because i tend to do like a timeline i'm okay where 2008 2012 2005 where am i at here okay so um you did mention uh, you well the question i do want to ask is at what point in your timeline, at the point that you started interventional radiology, that you began to start doing um, speaking engagements. When did you start that? Mm. Speaking engagements started for me um, probably, I'd have to say, back in 2001. I would say 2000, 2001, around that time. I don't remember the exact time frame. Um, but what... What I did at first is I wanted to start presenting webinars. 
so that's what I did. So I reached out to a company called the Coding Institute that I know that people are familiar with. They've kind of changed their name now, and they're known by another name, but they were looking for, you know, at that time, audio seminar presenters. It wasn't even a webinar at that time. Um, and I applied for that, and they accepted me, and that's how I got onto the speaking circuit. And then I was doing webinars for them, and then or audio seminars <laughs> back then um, for them, other companies. Then they asked me to do some conferences. Um, then I was speaking at, you know, FHIMA, Florida Health Information Management Association. For those of you who don't know what FHIMA is, I know Brian does. Um, you know, was speaking there, and just once you get started and once you get a good reputation, it's like momentum just builds and builds and builds. And I would say I probably hit my peak with speaking engagements in like 2006, seven, like eight, you know, like around those years and nine. And then I hit a point where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm doing so many, I have to take a break. And I kind of pulled myself um you know, out of it for a little while. But, I mean, I was traveling around doing speaking engagements, um, you know, going to different conferences and events and speaking for different companies. And that, I mean, the travel stinks. I've never been a fan of travel. Don't particularly like it. But I love doing speaking engagements. That is my absolute favorite thing. I, I mean, webinars, they're okay. I do them. But there's nothing like the face-to-face being at a conference in a room full of people and being able to see them and, and interact with them. That is like my absolute favorite thing. And I would love to be able to do more of that because I just get so much enjoyment out of that. And just being able to be out there and talk to people and you know meet people and interact with them. So, yeah, the speaking started a while back. And here's an interesting fact that a lot of people don't know about me, that my biggest fear used to be public speaking. Yes. And then it became my, <laughs> my favorite thing to do. I'm like, I'm a shy, quiet person. Oh. I really am. I'm shy and quiet. Brian's still laughing. He's I'm like, laughing all right. Because, because it's, uh, I'm only laughing because it, it was me too. I, I was the same way. So continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was a very shy, quiet person, painfully shy, hated public speaking. The thought of it, I mean, I had to take a speech class in high school. It was absolutely traumatizing. Um, and then I had to do it again in college. Actually, college, I ended up going from FAU to PBCC and then going to FIU. I kind of jumped around, and I had to take speech, but I ended up loving speech class. I had a great instructor, and I'm like, this public speaking is so cool, so it's yeah, it's it's amazing. So I'm glad I got over that fear that I connected with the right instructor and was just able to move forward. I would love to be speaking in front of a crowd every day. If I could do it every day, I would. I just don't want to travel. They need to come see me. So yeah, I got to set up shop somewhere with a big auditorium. <laughs> the reason why I mentioned the speaking engagement because you know, I think for me and I, I've mentioned the story. Actually, the episode is out now where I talk about. You know, I used to be very shy in high school when I got into when I got into college. You know, I joined an association that, you know, an Asian student union. And then all of a sudden they had me doing speaking engagements. I was forced into it and I had no formal (laughs) training. And then, you know, once I think the idea is, you know, once you get over that initial episode, of doing a speaking engagement in front. I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking in front of like a webinar or, or like a webinar or an audio webinar. Um, it's more in front, face to face, not just one to two people, but a group of people. I think it's it, it empowers you. You know the fact that they're listening to you, 
And once you conquer that, the next time around actually is much better. Um, case in point, my daughter, uh, she started a speech class last year and she had to do her first speech and she was such a wreck. But, um, you know, I'm saying, you know, here I am, I'm telling you, I'm telling her, hey, I, I do speaking engagements and <laughs> I can... I can help you out and um you know but she she was still worried and I think at that point when she did it she was she was very emotional but then now she's you know after a couple times of doing speech classes and so forth it comes easy to you it comes natural to you so mm-hmm. I, and what I'm trying to say is you know for those that are in the industry I think you know one thing to truly prove yourself is to not be the keyboard commando or the cubicle warrior and just type away what you what you know right. and what you say. I think it's so much better when you speak it out loud and not do it in a uh, this type of version where it's more electronic and digital, but to go out for people to see you. Um, my first speaking actual, I mean, I've done teaching, but my first one was uh, in that F- F- FHIMA 2016. And, you know, I was worried. I'm always a little bit worried. <laughs> you know, I've done a lot of teaching, but I've never done a first, uh, a big uh, session like that with students. And mine was about, um, you know, how sh- what you should do to prepare for your certification exam. And I had a whole bunch of students. I had the middle conference room. I think it was over at, the, um, I forgot what hotel, but I had the big, the middle conference room, you know, where they do the the um, keynote speakers. That's I had yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So I had that part. And I had the whole thing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's so so nerve-wracking you know i can see where all of these you know um inspirational professional speakers they 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 kind of get worried a bit but i looked at it i'm like oh my gosh so i had the whole thing um and but i think when you put your mindset that hey they're listening to you (laughs) versus you know you're not there to uh just stand around i think you appreciate and so at that first point i was i was initially nervous actually i wrote everything down you should have seen me. I put it on Instagram, actually, and um, I, I wrote everything down. I wrote what I was going to say. Then guess what? Ten minutes before I started, I just threw the papers out. I said, I don't, yeah. I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't use any notes either. I just, like, go for it. I'm more nervous with a bunch of notes. Yes. Notes make me more nervous, so yeah. I just don't even use them. Yeah, I like it when when you're able to, you know, it, for those who, who do the speaking, at some point you begun, you have a mental outline you, you as long as you have a beginning and an end and you have it naturally flow you actually improve and my speech has improved a lot i used to say ums and i used to speak real fast i used to say starting with number one starting number two i never finish everything else you know those are some of the speech nuances that i usually uh fixed up but i learned how to especially with this podcast learning how to speak slowly how to enunciate now i don't you don't hear too many of the ums or any of the stutters, I tend, you know, that's all fixed. So as long as you practice, just like coding, just like interventional radiology coding, it's all good. I still do um. So can you edit out all my oh, ums? Oh no, the, I know I do it. <laughs> well, the, the 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 episode that is on now, the, I, I actually give a copy of you know whoever interviews on the on the podcast. I give them a copy. Uh, an advanced copy, and there was a there was um, usually the complaint is, it's like boy, I say a lot of ums. Can you remove those out? And I said, can you? Can, I mean, hello, how many ums do you? <laughs> how many hours do I need to edit all of those ums? And and you can see it on the editing software what it really looks like. 
because I know what it looks like. Because so, usually it's it starts off and it has like it's like a it's like um it's like a triangle and you could see it. I'm like, well, I'm I'm just gonna leave it. And so at some point, uh, this podcast has become more natural. I mean, hey, if you want to say right. um, and, and you know, people who listen to the podcast uh, that are guests. They listen to themselves. There was one that says, boy, do I sound like that? Boy, I need a voice coach or something like that. I said, no. I mean, this is how you naturally speak. I think people appreciate it when it comes from you, you know, uh, versus being very scripted. Uh, when you see, here he goes, the arms again. Um, <laughs> you know, and, you know, when you do that, it, it's it's a real person. That's all it is. And there's no perfection to any speech. As long as you practice, you're pretty good. This podcast is brought to you by the Haugen Consulting Group. Having troubles with your external cause codes? <coughs> external cause codes can be a mystery to solve when you are trying to figure out the details of the events leading to the patient coming to the hospital. Luckily for you, the Haugen Consulting Group are offering two separate educational webinars on October 18th and October 19th for facility and pro-fee medical coders. Sign up to receive indexing search tips and tricks that will help you reference the ICD-10-CM Chapter 20 codes with ease. Listeners of this podcast will exclusively receive a 15% discount. How you ask? Go to thehaugengroup.com slash shop and use the promo code GEEK15. Again, go to www.thehaugengroup, H-A-U-G-E-N, group.com slash shop and use the promo code geek15 that's g-e-e-k one five all right now let's go back to um to rad rx so can you give it give the idea of and i know you mentioned some things about the the independent contractors that you have uh, but you can you is there anything else that you wanted to share with Rad Rad RX that you offer to clients? Well, our main services that we offer, we do outsource coding for both diagnostic and interventional radiology. So we have, um, I do like I said, that piece of the business doesn't you know seem to be as lucrative as it used to be, but I still do have clients um, that you know send us interventional radiology cases for us to code. Um, I've had some that, you know, on occasion will send us everything and then other clients are like, we're just going to send you the difficult ones, um, that we can't do, or we do like fill in like, you know, for vacations and things like that, we'll do coverage. Um, I actually have one, um, client that has completely outsourced their diagnostic radiology coding to us, which I hadn't had one of those contracts in years because of the issues that I mentioned, um, with CAC and outsourcing, and interestingly, they had that overseas, and they weren't happy with the quality, and they wanted to bring it back over. Um, so we worked with them to find a way to do that. And interestingly, you know, to kind of circle back to you know the subject about the offshoring, I've had other people come to me and say we have it offshore and we want to bring it back into the states, 
and then they tell me what they were paying overseas and what they want to pay, and I very bluntly tell them I can't even get a coder to work for that, let alone make any money off of it. Um, so, yeah, that's just, I don't know, at least in my niche, I don't see that piece coming back. I, I don't. So I've kind of said, you know what, I'm resigning myself to that, that I'll get a client here or there, but it's not a big piece of the business. So most of our outsourced business, the reason why I say that is most of our outsourced business is interventional radiology coding. So then we also do auditing and then, of course, education, which would be the webinars. Um, I have the online training course for interventional radiology, which is really um, the main thing that I'm trying to um, grow these days and push out there um, because there are so many people who want to learn interventional radiology coding, and it's very challenging um, to learn. And there are other courses out there. I'm certainly not the first person that, you know, has come up with a prep course if you want to get your specialty certification or learn IR coding. <clears throat> but the challenge with some of these other courses is that you are going and sitting in a room for a week. It's a crash course, and they're cramming all this knowledge into your head for a week. And I'm one of the people who, like, did that back in 2007 when I sat for that, you know, credential back when it was the CIC. I had no IR experience. I go to a class, you know, in Georgia. I sit for four days and have every interventional radiology procedure crammed into my head, and I take the certification exam that Friday when I also have to get on a plane and catch a flight home, okay? So that week was, like, ridiculous. And I'm a pretty quick learner, a quick study, and a good test taker. And that week was so insane, and I did not pass the test that first time. But I didn't feel bad because we had a class of 30, and only eight people passed, and those people had, had prior experience. So, And from what I heard from people, that tended to be a typical pass rate um, you know, there. So it, it, it was, it was it really intense. And then a few months later, after I could come home and study and absorb it, then I did a retake. They let you do your retakes online, and then I took it, and, and I passed it, um, you know, on the second try. But even so, it was just so much coming at me, you know, so quickly. So how this kind of evolved is kind of interesting. I didn't plan to do, like, this big training course that I offer now for IR coding or a prep course. But a client of mine, she came to me and she's like, Stacy, she's like, you know, I, I, you know, need to learn interventional radiology coding. She's like, it's not clicking. She's like, I went to, you know, a week-long seminar of so-and-sos. I'm not going to say the company. Um, she said that, you know, I, it just didn't click. I didn't get it. I'm still lost. She's like, do you have any training coming up? And I'm like, no. I'm like, I don't have anything. Um, I said, I don't really do the three-day seminars anymore because people aren't paying to send their employees. You know, they're watching their expenses. They're really doing online. And I didn't, I'm like, the in-depth stuff, I'm like, IR is better face-to-face. -face. I'm like, it just is. And so I would do like three-day seminars. But had it. And I said, you know what? I said, let's work out a deal, and I will tutor you one-on-one -on -one for like eight weeks. And I'm like, we will get this done. And so that's what I did with her. I worked with her once a week. We'd get on for a few hours. I would do webinars, go through stuff with her. And she finally started to get it. And she went and she took her exam and she passed. And she's like, thank you so much. She's like, it's because of your course, you working with me, that you know, I was able to pass this exam. She's like, I was lost before this. And so then I'm like, hey, I'm like, I think I have something here. So I had already created materials and updated materials to work with her. So let's see, I'm trying to think. So the first year that I would have offered would have been 20, was it the beginning of 2016 or 2015? It all kind of blends together now. 
Um, but then I said, you know what, I'm going to make a boot camp. And so I used to call this like my VIP, like eight week, like boot camp to do the training. And I had people sign up for it and everybody loved it. And the main reason why people like it, and there were people who've gone to the week long trainings from the other company, like she had, were like, oh my gosh, I just couldn't comprehend it. It was too much. They took my course and they're like, I love it. And when I first did it, I was making them do a module a week. Now I've changed it to where it's more self-paced and people are liking it because they have access now when you buy the course, you have access for a year. So you have time to work through the modules and absorb the material. It isn't like this crash course where, oh my gosh, I'm cramming all these procedures into my head in four days and then I have to study for a test and take it. So everybody has loved the format. A lot of people have gone through the course and they have earned their CIRCC certification. So that just kind of happened. It was really just that chance, you know, phone call with her and her needing something. And so it was kind of birthed out of that. And so I've been doing that now for a while. And then um, I think it was short. Ah, I know what it was. So how the book came about. For years, I had wanted to like write a book. And anybody who's written a book, you know, it's very labor intensive. It's just ridiculous. And I had never done it. Well, then after I did that first, you know, round of boot camp, I said to myself, you know what, I should write a book. The course could probably use a manual. So that is how my reference manual, Cracking the IR Code, came about. Um, so the first group of people who did my boot camp, they didn't have that 800-page manual. Oh, gosh, it's really? huge. It's 800 pages. They didn't have that um, uh -huh. when they went through the course, but uh -huh. all the other people since have had that. So that's how the book came about. So it's just kind of interesting. Like sometimes you don't necessarily plan on doing something at a particular time, and then opportunities just present themselves. So that's been doing really well. So that, I'm really focused on that. And so what I want to do is write more books. I want to do training materials for diagnostic radiology, also do an online course for diagnostic radiology. But IR was really the one that I saw the demand for first. So I kind of started there. And then hopefully over the course of 2018, I'll have a similar setup for diagnostic radiology. Um, so that's basically auditing, coding, education, books, and then webinars. We do live webinars, on-demand webinars. But those are the three core services, coding, auditing, and education. That nice. was a very long answer. Nice. Very nice. Now, you, you mentioned, uh, yeah, the, the, the cracking the, the code. Is it the IR code? Cracking the IR Crack, code? Yeah, cracking the IR code. Okay. Now, how, what, what, um, what was I going to ask? The, I always wanted to, you know, I guess I'm speaking with a published, you know, the, an author now. <laughs> you were an author. I was an author before this. I published you? other books through other companies. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you did write books beforehand. So it wasn't, it wasn't books. like this wasn't your first book then. No, it was not. It was the largest ever, obviously. <laughs> hey, guys, I recently signed up for my free 30-day Audible trial. With my 30-day trial, I received a free audiobook just for signing up. There were so many titles to choose from, but I decided on American Assassin by Vince Flynn. This book introduces you to Mitch Rapp and the journey in his beginnings as a super agent. I didn't realize that this was a part of a larger series of Mitch Rapp adventures, and I look forward to listening to more. Plus, I think the book was way better than the movie, but don't tell my teenage daughter who is obsessed with Dylan O'Brien. Anyways, to get your free 30-day trial and a free audiobook, go to to audibletrial.com slash NEC podcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash NEC podcast.
So I, I guess for those that are, including myself, that's the reason why I'm asking, is for those that want to create a book, what is it that I guess you need, what's a starter kit that you could, you should begin with if you want to go that direction? Well, I guess it depends on what you want to do. I mean, I have published, you know, in the coding HIM realm, and then I have published outside of the coding HIM realm. But are you talking um, about like articles or are you talking about actual, an actual book? I'm talking like books. Okay, I've written, I've written articles for different publications like Journal of HIMA, AAPC's magazine, um, books years ago. I actually wrote some books for HC Pro that they had published. Um, was also a contributor to to some books. And then this, I mean, the book that I've written, Cracking the IR Code, this is just basically like a coding manual that I've created. It's not really like a formal, you know, it's not like it's going to a publisher and it's being printed. This is something that I wrote. It is a training manual, and I have a local print shop ah, do printing okay. on demand for me. Okay. That's how that works. Now, if you want to get into like a book book, I have books that are not related to healthcare that I've published on Amazon Create Space. Oh, interesting. That, that's a whole That's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different thing if you want to talk about publishing a book, that self-publishing that way. Um, yeah, that could be a separate um, podcast oh, for sure. Interesting. So, yeah, but it just, it was the problem with this because of the size of the book and the nature of the book to publish it in a traditional manner, it wouldn't really work. Um, and so I just work with this print shop locally, which is great for me because I don't have to buy a bunch of stock and keep it here. It's small orders. And then it's kind of like, you know, Hey, call them up. Oh, I've got some more orders. Could you fill them for me? Um, so it's, it's worked out really good. So this is totally, you know, self-published with me and a local printer. It's a three ring binder. That's the only way we can bind 800 pages. So, and the users prefer it. I used to do spiral bound books and they didn't like it. They're like, Stacy, I just pull it out of the spiral binding anyway. I'm like, well, thank you for telling me. So we switched to the, the three ring binder for um, size because the book increased this year in pages and then just people prefer it in the three ring binder. So that's it. It's, it's very simple. It's just very heavy in content, obviously. Right, nice. Now let's kind of wrap things up here. So I know there are people who are listening and intrigued by you uh, a question that probably should be asked is how can somebody get into i guess more specifically you know based on our conversation interventional radiology how can someone get into that field if they decide to yeah. want to do it yeah interventional radiology i will be honest it can be a little bit challenging to break into um, because of the complexity of the specialty. Obviously, a lot of people are looking for experience um, in interventional radiology, but that's probably not anything new to some other areas of coding. Um, that where, would coders... they, where would they need to begin? I guess, let's, let's, I guess if they wanted to get into the, at that point, where can they begin and then work their way up to interventional yeah. radiology? Well, I think if you're already coding, you know, like I have people ask me about the training course. They're like, you know, your training course, is it for somebody who has, you know, no experience, you know, what, you know, can somebody jump in? And what I say to them to come and do the training course, which will prep you to sit for that certification exam, it covers everything on the certification exam. And I tell people, if you can pass my course, you can pass the exam because the course is harder. Um, than that. So when people ask me about taking the course, they ask about, you know, what level of experience should they have? And I tell them that 
The course is designed for those with little or no interventional radiology experience, but they should already have coding experience. They should have CPT coding experience because you sh the course is going to assume that you know CPT coding basics. So for someone who's really green, I don't know that this would be the first specialty that I would recommend because, because I know experienced coders who have been coding a while, they come and they try to learn this, and they're like, wow, it, it's challenging. You know, they, they see that it's very different from other areas of coding. So is it possible for a new person to grasp it? Absolutely. But I just see a better success rate and a higher success rate um, if the person already has some coding experience behind them. And obviously, the more years you have behind you, the better anytime you're trying to learn a new specialty. So it's not impossible, but it's and if you want to break into it and you don't have the experience, you probably will want to get the credential to at least show somebody, hey, I have enough knowledge to be certified. I sat for the certification exam and I passed it because it's not an easy certification exam. Um, so that's something that's certainly you know worth looking at. Um, so if you don't have experience, the credential could probably help you you know crack into there but then you have a lot of experienced coders who don't have the credential, but they already have the experience. So that's kind of what I recommend to people, that they might want to look into getting that certification if it's something that they want to break into. Because this is an area, um, people say, oh, well, what about computer-assisted coding with interventional, like diagnostic radiology? And I can tell you that computer-assisted coding hasn't done well with the complex IR. Um, I also know some folks at a company who have done validation testing, um, on CAC for IR, and they say the result's not good. So we're still good with interventional radiology coding. The computers are not that smart yet. So yeah. it's, still a, it's still a good area to get into just because of the complexity of it. Now, would you say, I guess, the, co the, the actual interventional radiology coding is a bit more sophisticated? Like, are you talking about the, the architecture of the actual code itself that makes it difficult, or is it just the whole process of understanding the interventional radiology procedures that makes it difficult? Or is it a combination think, of both? Yeah, I'd say it's probably a little bit of everything. Um, you know, first of all, interventional radiology is very broad. It encompasses a lot of different procedures, um, you know, but the most, you know, can, I think, you know, difficult procedures would be those vascular procedures. You know, people who code IR will talk complex procedures versus simple procedures. Like, we kind of break it down that way with, like, your simple stuff being, like, biopsies, aspiration, drainage, you know, those kind of things. Um, and then when we're talking complex, we're talking about the vascular stuff, you know, where they're doing the angiograms, where they're doing the angioplasty, the stent, the atherectomy, the embolizations, those types of things. When you get into some of those complex vascular interventions, it's because you have so many codes that potentially go into coding a case, all these component codes. Um, you know, it's not the only specialty that has, you know, component codes. I mean, you can have multiple codes for other procedures. But, I mean, some of these cases, you know, you could have 10 codes, 15 codes, 20 codes assigned to it. Um, so it's really just understanding. Also, the anatomy is huge, um, you know, in, in learning that, you know, the vascular system and then understanding the coding rules for the vascular system of first-order vessels, second-order vessels, third-order vessels. Um, you know, that's something that's very challenging for coders. It's just, and then within these different procedures in interventional radiology, you have different rules even for the different procedures themselves. Like there's not really, 
a lot of consistency from procedure to procedure. Like it's kind of like all over the place. I think in recent years they're becoming a little bit more streamlined because they're combining, you know, codes. You know, once they came up with that rule that if you had, you know, codes that were built together 75% of the time, then you had to come up with a code that combined those, you know, two components. And so we've seen that you know, in CPT, you know, across the board. And so some procedures have gotten, you know, more straightforward to a certain degree because of that. But then on the other hand, even though we're having more codes where two codes are now collapsed into one, the coding rules are still inconsistent from procedure to procedure or body area to body area. So it's just learning all of those little nuances. And it's funny, I've had a lot of coders, very experienced coders, who told me, I, I don't like IR, I just haven't I've been able to learn it. It's just like they, they shy away from it, kind of like me. I'm like, I can't even. Like, I would try to learn it, and I'm like, nope, I would shut down. But I, once people get over that initial hump and they get into it, then they're like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. And then it's like, it's a nice solid skill set to have because not a lot of people are good at it. There are a lot of people doing it, but it doesn't mean that they're doing it correctly. And auditing, I know that because in all the audits I've done, I can tell you that I typically never find an accuracy rate any higher than 60% for interventional radiology coding for anybody that I audit. So, yeah, there's a lot of room for improvement out there, and even with people who are certified. So certification doesn't you know, it's a good thing to have it. You know, it, like I said, it shows that you have that knowledge, but just because someone is certified doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing it correctly either. But in the hospital, it's a nightmare too because HIM is doing a piece and the department's doing a piece, and I won't even get on that soapbox of how I feel about that um, with it being divided up because that creates a whole another set of headaches. But anyway, that's probably more information than you really wanted to know. This podcast is brought to you by AccessAdoctor.com. Access a doctor when you need it most. How would you like to have quick and easy access to licensed doctors 24 hours a day, 7 days a week? Instead of scheduling an appointment to see a doctor or going to the emergency room or urgent care, you simply make one phone call and a doctor will provide you with a consultation, diagnose your medical problem, and even call in a prescription to your local pharmacy. Some of the conditions that can be treated using accessadoctor.com include cold and flu symptoms, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, allergies, skin infections or rashes, and even eye and ear infections. Listeners of this podcast can get a discount on their single and family membership plans for unlimited medical consultations by going to accessadoctor.com and using our promo code geek that's g-e-e-k upon signing up again that's accessadoctor.com and the promo code is geek g-e-e-k the reason why i asked that because you mentioned the cac and that's the reason why is because it can't crack that ir code that you have cracked right uh because of the complexities uh from the guideline standpoint from the coding architecture uh, it makes it difficult for the technology to recognize it through natural language processing. So for those that are listening, I'll put that all, <laughs> all in the show notes just in case you're wondering what that all is all about. Now, my um, before we wrap it up, I do have one more question. Is at what point when you were doing interventional radiology, um, you mentioned the aha moment. When was your aha moment? When was it to, at the point that you were doing interventional radiology that you said that it finally clicked? 
Well, I would say my first, like, aha moment was before I ever coded interventional radiology. Remember I said I hadn't coded it, didn't know it, went and did that week-long course. Right. This, this is how I got to the point of taking that week-long course. This was back in 2006. I remember I went to a free seminar that was offered down like in the Fort Lauderdale area. It was Mm -hmm. like a one-day seminar by a vendor on IR coding. And I'm like, what the heck? It's free. Let me try. (laughs) Last-ditch effort Mm -hmm. to try to get IR to like stick in my brain because people were asking us for IR consulting and I had to tell them, I can't help you. And that was frustrating me because I was having to turn away business or hire someone to do it, you know, and I'm like, it would just be easier if I could do it. Mm -hmm. And so it was a gentleman by the name of Gary Burns and some people listening may you know that name, okay. um, who, who worked for Medical Asset Management. I don't know if he still is with them or not, okay. but I saw him, and that day, it was the way he taught it. It was how he explained it. Sitting in that room, I got so excited because it finally clicked. I'm like, I have finally found the right person that I can understand. Um, he was amazing. And so his company, they offer the training. They still do. They were the ones who offered the credential back then. And I signed up for the week-long course through them. Unfortunately, he only taught day one, and he didn't teach the rest of the week. But it got me into that room, like hearing him, and it started me, like, on that journey. So he had a great impact on me. And then after I got, you know, my third, after I took the course in 2007, February 2007, I taught my first seminar one year later in February 2008, a three-day seminar on IR coding one year later. Um, and that was just every day coding it. And we had picked up a client for IR, and I was coding it every day and hired someone to audit me who was very experienced. That's how I learned. Someone audited me and audited me and audited me. Um, during that year that, you know, we went through that extra expense and just had that person doing that. And that person still works, works for me today, um, you know, as one of my 1099s. So she's been working with me, um, you know, for years, and she kind of helped get me, you know, solid in this. And so it was kind of cool one year later, almost to the day, that I was in another state teaching a three-day seminar, teaching people how to do interventional radiology coding. And some of his teaching, like, you know, techniques and stuff, I've incorporated into my teaching. And people tell me the same thing. Stacy, I've never understood anybody else until I come and I sit with you and I get it. And I'm like, he had such an influence on me because I use a similar approach. So, you know, I don't know that he has ever gotten wind of that or heard about that, but I tell that story, like, so much to people. Um, so it really is. It's finding someone that teaches you in in the manner that works for you. I mean, everybody's different. I mean, when I talk to people who go to these other sessions um, that other companies offer, some people like them and they do very well with them. I just have found in feedback I've gotten from people, the like newbies, like the people who are newer, that they're like, yours is really great for people who are like newer and really are, you know, kind of feeling their way through it. And then the other training sessions out there, because they're so condensed and they're so fast-paced, they're like, it's not the best thing for, and me having gone through a week-long course myself, it is not. I wouldn't do, if I would have had something like I offer back then, I wouldn't have done that because that was just insanity. Um, so it really depends on the experience a person has and just their level, you know, of comfort. If you've had some exposure to it, that's better. You know, people, I've had all experience levels come into my course from very little experience to experience. 
And obviously, the more exposure you've had, it's going to come easier to you, and you're going to perform better. But I've had people with, like, barely any experience come through the course and get certified, um, which is kind of cool to see that. So, yeah, it's just searching until you find that, you know, click. But the main reason, you know, behind the book, and then I'll get off the book and I'll stop talking about the book, but when I was trying, I tried to learn interventional radiology coding on my own, like, back in 2001, 2002, and I was trying to find a book that I could read or I could teach myself because I'm usually pretty good at reading a book and grasping something and running with it. I couldn't find anything, you know. And then a few years later, I started looking at books on the market, you know, the ones that people know about, Dr. Z, MedLearn, you know, all the other ones out there. And I bought all the company's books and, you know, coding strategies and all that. And looking at a lot of those, I'm like, I didn't feel like they were basic enough, like for IR. At least two of them I didn't. One of them I primarily relied on. And I'm like, it's just confusing me more. And so I'm like, I want to write a book. Back then, it was always an idea I had, but I never went through with it. I'm like, I would like a basic reference. So the reason why this book is 800 pages long is because I take it down to the basics. I am actually giving you scenarios and walking you through, explaining to you why the codes are being dropped, why the codes are being changed. I mean, I'm taking you through that thought process in many scenarios and then also in actual operative reports, like giving you written explanations. So it's just giving that level of detail in that book that is nowhere else on the market. I can say that with confidence. There is nothing like this on the market with this level of detail for those people who are wanting to learn a new specialty. All right. Well. That's awesome. Well, thank you very, <laughs> thank you very much, Stacy. Shameless plug. That's okay. That's all right. Hey, that's why you're here. Um, so let's wrap things up with two questions. I always ask the guests. Uh, first question: What does the future hold for you and Rad RX? Oh, that is a good question. I don't think that we all ever quite know what the future holds. Um, as far as, you know, what I, you know, plan on for the future of my company, and I think I touched on this a little bit earlier, it's just really expanding um, online education and then also working on, you know, other reference manuals. Um, just because of the changes, you know, in the industry, in the business, I'm looking for ways to build something where, you know, regardless of who's, like, doing, like, the coding, like, you're always going to need training. You're always going to need education, even if something goes overseas. Well, those people need good sources of information. Um, You know, so I figure, hey, you know, with the Internet, you know, thank goodness for the Internet um, that we have it, that we have the ability, you know, to reach, you know, across the world. And so it isn't just, you know, for people in the U.S. who can benefit from what I'm doing But, you know, if I can't do the work, you know, if it does get pushed overseas, at least I can get, you know, the education provided um, to some folks over there and do some auditing. So that's kind of been been my shift, like I said, just because of I've seen, um, you know, those changes. Eventually, I might expand out and, you know, look at some other specialties, maybe partnering with some other people. But I really think that, um, you know, looking at other alternatives other than just that coding, you know, that production work um, is something that everybody, you know, like we were discussing earlier, needs to, you know, look at for their coding career. Okay. And for the final question is, what final words do you have or what final words do you want to share with our audience? What are some of the best words of advice you can give? 
So one thing um, I think that I would share, I, this is probably I would direct it more towards people who are starting out, you know, in their careers. It's not necessarily just applying to those people. It could apply to anyone that's been in the field for a while. But something that I found invaluable in, in my career and is part of why I am where I am today is because of networking. And I'm not just talking about networking, going to a meeting, and, like, interacting with people. That's great, and I encourage that for people to go out and do that. But for me, I got involved in my professional association very early on, um, volunteering, you know, in, you know, at the committee level and then, you know, chairing committees. For me, really where I got most of my leadership experience and volunteer experience was through the Florida Health Information Management Association. And I have to say I've been serving, you know, for them in some capacity for the past 17 years, I think. I can't remember a year that I haven't been serving um, in some capacity. And in 2007, I was president of the Florida Health Information Management Association, which, which was the most amazing experience of my life. I, I, you know, I loved every minute of that. I had been on the board before that. Um, just held a ton of positions, and being in those leadership positions and, you know, getting to attend different events, I got to meet so many people, and over the years, as I was coming up, you know, when I was younger, you know, and I was just volunteering, and I didn't have, like, any big titles yet, but I was volunteering within the association, people saw my dedication to the association and my work ethic and were impressed with what I was doing on a volunteer level. I had so many people say to me, Stacy, if you ever need a job, please come see me. Please come see me. And that, I think, is, I think that kind of gets lost in today's environment because so many things are virtual and so many people attend school online that we don't go out and we're not interacting and we're not getting involved in our professional association. And I did it for the right reasons because I was passionate about it and I wanted to do it but I don't think that I ever understood like the full benefit of it and how it would, you know, impact my career or benefit it. But just starting out and people seeing that in me and then saying that to me and then if they needed something done, like tapping me and saying, hey, we have something important, you know, we know you're the right person to do it. It's like become that go-to person. On the job, I became the go-to person in my job. If something new came up, hey, let me learn it, I want to do it. Um, so I always got promotions. I always got raises and, you know, the volunteering. And then when you start working your way up, like I always found it interesting being president of FHIMA. People would meet me when I'd go out to events representing FHIMA. And just because I was president of FHIMA, they, like, wanted to, like, do business with my company. Like, that gave me, like, you know, immediate credibility. Oh. I'm like, I could be some idiot and you wouldn't know any better. You know? <laughs> like, oh, you know. You know you don't, I mean, thankfully for you, I'm not. But I met people, and there's like, oh, yeah, well, oh, yeah, I have a need for that service, you know, for your company, blah, 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 yeah, let's chat. And they wouldn't check references on me or go to other people. They would just sign with me, and I thought it was, like, a really odd thing. Um, so those things just kind of happened, like, in the course of what I wanted to do anyway. Like I said, I didn't set out for it to do those things for me, but I, I just think it's so important. And like I said, it's lost in our virtual world today, I think. Um, with everybody just being behind their computer screens and not being out there. And I think probably now it is a good idea to get involved and volunteer because we are so virtual. It kind of forces you out there and, and go to meetings, in-person meetings, you know. In Florida, you know, for FHIMA, you know, I go to that conference, you know, every year. I think I've only missed two or three, like, in my since 1992. 
um, it's it's just a great thing to do. So wherever you're at, you know, if you're AAPC member, go to AAPC events, local, the big conferences, and just I mean volunteer because it will open up doors because people will see there will be like, hey, if that person you know, does a great job when they're not getting paid, you know, that's going to make them a pretty good employee if they're working that hard on something that they're not getting paid for. Um, So that would be, you know, like I said, it doesn't have to be for new professionals. It can be for people who've been around for a while. Just get out there and you'd be surprised. You find out about jobs before other people do. Um, you're, You're just like in the know. You're like in the loop on things that otherwise you wouldn't know about. So that's my big piece of advice. There you go. All right. Well, woo. Thank you very much, Stacey, for being part of this podcast. I do appreciate it uh, for your time and for <laughs> all, everything that we just talked about. We, we, we can go on forever, but, of course, you know, we have limited time. We're already on, what? Um, what's this, an hour and 27 minutes. So you, you, we've, done, we've talked quite a lot. So uh, I do thank you for being part of the podcast. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you for having me. Again, I want to thank Stacy Buck for being part of this podcast. RadRx is running a promotion and offering a 20% off discount on all 2018 RadRx resources, 2018 interventional and diagnostic radiology coding updates, and her masterclass coming up in January. You can check out RadRx at RadRx.com. Coming up on the next episode of Not Elsewhere Classified. And she got me to agree that if I didn't become president of our state association, that I promised to pursue my master's. Not Elsewhere Classified is presented and produced by Medical Coding Geek. Music was brought to you by 43 and Coyote Hearing. Medical Coding Geek offers tutoring and media services for the medical coding, health information, and CDI community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MED Coding Geek. That's MED Coding Geek. You can also find us on our website, medicalcodinggeek.com, where you can find and listen to all the podcast episodes plus the show notes from today. Make sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. We would definitely appreciate it. And again, thank you for being part of this podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kui, and you have just listened to Not Elsewhere Classified. MedicalCodingGeek.com This podcast is supported by Weebly.com. Have a product? Building a company? You'll need a website. Create your site with Weebly's drag-and-drop website builder and responsive themes without any technical experience. Believe me, I built my website in under 30 minutes. It really is that easy. Listeners of this podcast will receive a 10% discount on any Weebly subscription plan or promote plan. To get this discount, go to Weebly, that's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot medicalcodinggeek.com. Again, that's Weebly dot medicalcodinggeek.com.